Welcome to the John Lyon Podcast, episode 63. Um, today, I have one of my old teachers from UVU. Her name is Bridget Sheffer. She, uh, the class that I took from her a few years ago was called Media Ethics. So today, the subject is kind of media ethics, mass media, and the state of uh, social media and what it's doing to like politics and just how polarizing things are online right now. Um, but Bridget, she got her bachelor's in political science. And then I don't remember if she mentioned what her master's was in, but then she just got her PhD within the last year at a school in New Zealand, but it was for management communication. So, uh, it was great having her, uh, on the podcast. Like I've kept in touch with her over the last two years since I saw her. Um, it was just a great discussion, uh, going back and forth on different examples of, of the media and the way it is portrayed now. And if journalists, are they... Are they honest when they're finding out this information? Are they more so activists, you know, listening to only their side? Are they, like, so steeped in these echo chambers that they can't see what else is uh, the actual truth of what's going on? So, anyway, overall, it was an awesome discussion. Uh, she had to slip out early, so uh, we could have gone for another half hour, maybe an hour. So I'll definitely try to get her back on the podcast for a round two. So, uh Hope you guys enjoy this and uh, peace out. Enjoy episode 63. I always got to get this on the episode. Got to open up. Yep. Pop it. People know that I've been drinking a ton of soda lately. I probably drink like three of these a day now. Oh. But three times zero is still zero, so. <laughs> so you're but good. I love it. People are probably tired of hearing the story, but I didn't drink soda for three and a half years. You weren't drinking soda when no, you were in my class. No. I remember this. And then when my baby was born, some people, they have a cigar when their baby's born. Okay. Some men do. But I was like, I don't drink, I don't smoke, so I'll just have a soda. And it was way too strong for me, so I still don't drink regular soda, but I right. have, like, three Coke Zero. So I went from drinking no soda to now I have, like, I'm addicted to, like, three a it day. It was a slippery slope. Basically. But I'm glad it's diet. People are like, there's bad stuff in diet. I'm like, I'd rather have cancer than diabetes, but <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, I guess you, well, yeah, I've never really thought about that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But, um, so welcome to the John Lyon Podcast. Thank episode you. 63. Wow. Yeah. It's impressive. So um, today, first time ever guest, Bridget Sheffer. Hello. Is that how I say it? Yes. So we have to kind of give people a background before. Oh, well, actually, let me share the fun fact first. Yeah. And then we'll get into the background of how we know each other. So I got this from Reddit, like I always do. Um, Wyatt Earp was the last surviving participant of the OK Corral shootout. Okay. Which I learned recently there's probably some stuff that was not so accurate about that from the movies they've made, obviously. Right, right. Um, he died in 1929 at age 80, but um, he held many jobs throughout his career, one of which was the enforcer at a brothel. Interesting job. In his later years, he consulted <laughs> He consulted on Hollywood Westerns and got to know various actors and directors. What? Yeah. You could get so, paid to do that? Well, the crazy thing is, is that he lived long enough to where the Western world was no more yeah and then they started making movies about it and he could like consult them on this is how that it is was so funny yeah because i thought like how crazy it is that people who are like born and lived in like the 1870s to 80s right lived all the way to like the 1930s like That's saw true, so right? much change especially on 
the West because the East was already right. It was changing pretty well a lot. developed. Yeah. yeah, where it's still a little wild. In yeah, these yeah, parts. yeah. So it's just crazy to think that he lived long enough for them to That's start making movies about the West. Fascinating. Now I'm so. going to be obsessed with this, and I'm going to go have to do a bunch of research yeah. on it. There is a cool YouTube channel I found because I can do that while I work from home, just watch random stuff. Right. It's called History Buff, and there's this British guy. He's got some funny comedy in his videos, but he only reviews history war movies or history movies. What? So like Gladiator, uh, Braveheart. He already pointed out that Braveheart is the most inaccurate movie, no. historical movie. Yes. Wait, okay, I'm going to... And then a, in each I'm, of his episodes, he doesn't release too many a year because he has to do a lot of research and yeah. each episode is probably like 20 to 30 minutes. His longest one was Dancing with Wolves. Oh my so, yeah, goodness. He's I probably am... got like 20 videos. Okay. But it's funny with Braveheart, I'll tease that one a bit. He says, let's see how inaccurate this movie is. Like the, the as soon as the movie pops up, it says the year 1286. <laughs> And he's like, pause. He like he's, looks up Wikipedia and it says clearly like the war and the time era straight up says 1280. He's like, how the freaking you within the first minute get the year off by six years and then just from the rest of it, it just goes bad. So Right. Or so specific. Yeah. Right. Like, why couldn't you just say 1280? 1280s. Yeah. Or something like that. 1286. You got something specific, specifically wrong. So Right. That's I love it. I'm gonna. I'm. I will. I will. History buff. I think is what the name of the YouTube channel is. Okay, so, I'm gonna go find it now. So Bridget, you and I met back in fall of 2016. That's right. It's I was in your class, and the name of the class was called Media Ethics. Yes. So that was a very interesting class. Really, one of my top three favorite. I would have to say my favorite class of all time. So I'll stop it. Um, no, it was it was a blast. So you, but how many classes had you t- had you had taught before that? So I had been teaching for eight years okay. by that time. So I mean, it wasn't the I don't know how many classes I've taught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'd had a some good experience under my belt. Yeah. By that point, and then. We covered some crazy topics because that's when oh, things man. were getting crazy. Because that was when after the election, so things were getting right. pretty ramped up on social media and news and all that stuff. So right. There's a lot of good topics to pull from as far as oh my goodness media ethics, and a lot has changed since then. Right. I've kind of, I'm not political at all, and I hate politics, but I've kind of almost had an awakening. Air quotes. Oh, I like from it. just like podcasts, like. I, f- I found this guy named Dave Rubin, and he does a YouTube channel, and he used to be on this YouTube channel called The Young Turks. Okay. And they're super, like, progressive and, like, liberal. Right. He, like, kind of, from his point of view, saw, like, okay, we're getting a little too crazy here. So now he calls himself a classic liberal, and he's gay, and okay. he's married. So I already don't, like, see eye to eye, to eye to, with a lot of things. Sure. But all of his interviews are from people from all different political spectrums. And it's just about how can we get out of this craziness and yeah. have normal conversations. So his YouTube videos are like an hour long. He just sits down in a studio he created in his garage and he's got like 500,000 subscribers. So I found him Brilliant. and then there's Joe Rogan. He's got all these different people who are from like, did you hear the story that happened around the time I was in class? Maybe it was 2017 about Evergreen State College. No. So long story short, there was this teacher who got, he's super liberal himself, got like crazy backlash because there was this day of absence, like a day without a black person or a day, like a colored, like you see those holidays where they say like a day without a woman or a day, like we're going to remember these people and they're not going to go to work. So you know exactly what it's like to not have them. Okay. Okay. So traditionally that school had done a, a day without a colored person or a day without. And so all colored people would leave campus. 
Oh wow! So that's how it normally was, and it that I sounds think, like a problem. Well, no, I guess it like people volunteered. It was okay. Like, yeah, people liked it. Okay. And so then what happened was, is this coming year, which has been 2017, they wanted to reverse it and say everyone who's not black or colored needs to stay home. Okay. So the other way is fine. Okay. Like it's volunteering. Like I don't want to go because it's a day without a black person or a day without colored sure. people. Okay. Okay. Um, is that the phrase though? Day without. I, I don't know this. So yeah. I'm really into Yeah, yeah. So it was that. But then the teacher who's super liberal himself was like, uh, that's fine if you want to volunteer not to go, but you're on action like you're forcing people to not show up on the base on the color of their skin. Right. Students, that's why I was kinda like yeah, yeah, yeah. my eyes popped a little so bit. So they're basically saying this. all white people should stay home. So they found out that he'd been talking to other teachers and the faculty oh. in his emails and they got leaked and these students stormed his class one day and started yelling him outside. It's all on YouTube. Oh, So wow. there's like him and like, long story short, him and his wife left the school. They won a crazy lawsuit because for the next couple of days, kids were like looking for him and his wife, like with bats and like- Like stalking the, behavior. The whole school like, was basically taken over that. by the kids and some of the faculty who had Ooh. been like taken over by this crazy ideology. Right. So basically, he's been on Joe Rogan. He's been on Dave Rubin. There's a couple of these professors and different people. They kind of coined themselves as the intellectual dark web. <laughs> the reason why that the reason why that term that term got coined was because they're talking about ideas that the media says we can't talk about that. It's too offensive. It's right. all this, but it's like that's why they called it the dark web because you're not supposed to ta- do those things. But they called it the intellectual dark web because it's about ideas. Okay. So over the last year or two, I've kind of gotten fascinated with all these people who are technically from de- different political and I- ideological spectrums. Right. But they all believe in free speech and they all kind of got thrown into this group because they've all had their own types of backlash from their own political parties. Right. Most of them have been like eaten up by their own right. side. Anyway, well, that's kind of what's happened since I've been in your class. I've, I don't follow politics, but I've been fascinated with all these different people like Jordan Peterson, Brett Weinstein who's the guy at the Evergreen, like all these people right, right. who don't really believe in the same things, but they all agree that like, there's a little craziness right now in media and free speech and all that stuff. Oh man, it just on so many levels. I'm just <laughs> thinking in terms of like academia, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that where they're all what from. That was the whole point was yeah. of tenure was. Like you could be able to express that. And yeah. it's like, if it gets outside of a student's comfort zone, then all of a sudden it's like, sorry, that doesn't matter anymore. You don't count or yeah. it's bizarre. It's, it's really weird. It's really bizarre. Like yeah. they talk about safe spaces and trigger warnings. And I started to hear a little bit of that my last year at UVU. And I'm like, what, yeah. is, what is going on here? That's like, when, tr- you know, when Trump, the election. Yeah. When he, when the results were announced and how, like, that's when we started having this really open dialogue about safe spaces. Yeah. And then all the crazy, like, diversity initiatives, like, we need to have more people, which I'm for, (laughs) I'm all, I've said multiple times on this podcast, I'm all for different kinds of people, different kinds of backgrounds, but when you're trying to, like, force it just to say, hey, check a list, list, like, virtue signal, like, hey, we did it over here, we're following the new fad, it kind of is weird, because then when they try to do, like, we need more women, in right. tech or woman in like these companies. Right. Like we need more woman thoughts. I'm like, technically isn't that sexist if you say we need more women. So <laughs> you're basically saying that all women think the same. Like we need, like that's just right. weird. So right. anyway, that's kind of what I've been dabbling in the last oh, two years since I've been in your class. This like, is fabulous. So I love it. So but before we go any further with like media ethics, like what's your overall background? Okay. Didn't you, you recently get your master's or PhD? PhD. Okay. Right. So, um, I graduated in political science. 
like a long time ago. Yeah. But um, (laughs) I really love politics. I really love governing. I really love the philosophy behind governance. Mm -hmm. And but I took a class called political communication and it was like the heavens parted for me. Okay. I just was like, this is my place. Like I just loved I loved it. Uh-huh. And um, at the time, we were living in this really small town, and there was one university, so I really had one option for my master's degree, which was in communication. Where was this town So at? this was in Cedar City, okay. in Southern Utah University. My wife went there for a year or so. Yeah. Didn't finish, but she got some school loans from there. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> what so. we all take away. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So when I finally decided to do my master's degree, I had a couple of kids, and I was like, you know, we're living here in this small town. I'll just do what I can and tried to tweak my master's degree mm-hmm. in that kind of political, ethical communication so arena. was your bachelor's in political science? So my bachelor's was in political science. And then you wanted to switch it up a little bit for your master's. Yeah, and so I switched it up to professional communication. And then I did my PhD in New Zealand, which is in management. Yeah. Communication, totally different. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm grateful for that because I have a pretty broad spectrum of yeah. expertise, I guess. So and then the, the management communication, does that have to, more so to do with like businesses? Yeah, it's more like groups and how we work together okay. or like leadership trends, which I think are sometimes hilarious to yeah. watch. And more that kind of like, how do we interact with each other? How can we be more productive yeah. or have good good workplaces? So then why in New Zealand? So Was this an excuse to go out of the country? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> This was interesting because I would go to conferences and I would look at all of these different universities that were recruiting in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And to be completely frank, I was a non-traditional student by that time, meaning I had three kids. You know, I had a husband who was doing his own thing. And so it wasn't like this kind of situation where I was like, oh, I'm going to go here. I wanted something that was more family friendly. Uh I wanted to go out of the U.S. And frankly, I didn't want a bunch of 20-somethings telling me who at the time was a 30-something, like, this is how we do school. Uh-huh. I was like, I'm too arrogant for that. So yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to be like straight up honest with myself. Uh-huh. And this particular um, University of Wakato offered me a scholarship. So I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. I interacted with them for about three years before I applied and decided to go. So then when you were out there, because what year would have this been? Because I took your class in 2016. Right. So this was 2013. So then were you living out there for a full yeah, so couple we, years? Yeah. So we took our whole family and moved there. We sold everything we had. Wow. Which like that's a story in and of itself. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. And so. But took, then after the class was up, I saw through Instagram and like Facebook that you went back out. Did you have to go right. back out for your last few months? Yeah. So what I did was I actually every four to six months, I would go back and forth essentially like I was oh. commuting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to New My Zealand. My friend's a pilot. And when he says I have to commute, I'm like, wait, what do you mean? Because his hub airport, he lives in Arizona, his hub airport's in Denver. Oh. So before he starts his shift, he has to get to Denver. Right. But when I think commute, I think driving and he's like, no, right. I have to fly. <laughs> I have to fly from Arizona <laughs> yeah, to yeah. Colorado. <laughs> That's awesome. And then I start my shift. Right? (laughs) So that's weird. So that's kind of a similar thing I was doing, going back and forth to try and wrap up. And and then I did. Like your dissertation and stuff like that? uh Yeah. How many pages is that crap? Um, Mine is 300, (sighs) over 300 pages. That's probably why I would never go back to school get my master's or PhD. (laughs) And I'm trying to pay my school loans off right now. Right. That's why I live in this basement. That's a good thing. Yeah. I'm still trying to pay my off. Yeah. So when I eventually (laughs) do get a house, I won't have that extra payment. Right. But I'm like... 
what's the point of going back to school if I'm paying off my school loans right now? I That's guess I, true. I could pay out of pocket, but whatever. It is a it's it's definitely one of those philosophical questions yeah. that like, nobody has the answer to. And like the thing is I'm learning about with like how crazy like I mean I'm I haven't I'm still working at the same company. The degree I picked hasn't really panned out. We can talk about that later right. after the podcast. But um uh like I'm hearing about all the stuff they're doing with automation. Right. And I listened to a podcast where uh, the the I don't know if I agree with it necessarily. It sounds very interesting because it has to do with school loans, but also it's called the the universal basic income. Okay. I hear a lot of pros, but I know there's definitely gonna be cons to it, especially some with right. what my parents taught me and what they tell me and stuff. <laughs> but the one thing that it caught my interest is that he's like by two thousand like thirty. Okay. They say there's gonna be a lot of jobs like trucking is gonna be gone. Mm. So like the whole point was is like how are you gonna have fifty some odd year old people who've all they've ever known is trucking? Right. You're gonna like they're all gonna lose their jobs. You're gonna have them right go and learn how to code. So I mean, there's a like basically what this guy was saying is is that the way and you might have noticed this since being in academia is that over the last like twenty years we've shifted the culture to that. Four-year degree is the only way to go. Yeah. And trade jobs are horrible. But he said that plumbing, carpentry, and those other trade jobs that have been looked down upon the last 20 years are not ever going to be automated. So yeah, those people- they're arts, they're crafts. Yeah. So they're not going to be able- Those people will still have jobs. So right. what he's basically saying is like, if you don't want to get in debt with school loans, maybe you should sh- shift your focus to- trade schools and stuff yeah no Maybe i should have been a plumber i'm I don't totally know. <laughs> into that well it's interesting when we know like the history of the of the four-year degree yeah, I mean, yeah that yeah. goes back to like the 60s uh-huh. and being able to like go through this process of educating and then and then like i i love like uh what sir robinson i can't remember what his first name is he's he's an educational reformer and mm. essentially what we've done is we've made education this equivalent to like widget producing like here we want you to get your four your four year degree uh-huh. okay now we've given you the skills now go out and do some work for the yeah society whatever uh-huh. that means and um it's just not working anymore yeah it, on so many levels well cuz like they get these people get in debt like with crazy amounts of school loans right. and then don't really have anything to show for it and that's right. why this other guy is running for president um, with his old universal basic income, he's like, school loans are like crazy because they're the only loan that you can't claim on bankruptcy. You yeah. can't claim it. Like it sticks with you. And I think if you yeah. die, it goes next of kin. It does. It's yes. And then the schools don't care if you don't pay because they've already been paid. Right. Your loans are now from the government. And he's like, they should have plans that you could, he's like off the top of his head. He's like, why don't we have things where like you pay, once you graduate, you pay us. 10% of your paycheck for 10 years to right. your school loans. And then once that's over, no matter if you have more loans or not, we'll wipe it clean. Right. That way right. you're still contributing to what you you borrowed, but we're not going to have you that hanging over your head for the rest of your life. I don't know. So nice. Maybe it's the young generation in me that's <laughs> like, that sounds cool, Yay. but right. I'll have to pay them all off. But anyway, so that's how we know each other. Right. Your background, you got the PhD now, which was yeah. in... The PhD was in management communication? Yes. Yeah. So the PhD was in management communication. So now you're teaching at, do we want to say it? Well. No, you're teaching at university now and you're right now you're teaching starter classes or beginner classes. Yeah. So what I teach right now is like uh, mass media and society or mass media and culture. And then the other class that I teach is like an introduction to communication studies class, which we cover actually a lot of social media theory and how that works out with communication and relationships and the whole gamut. Yeah. And I was telling you today that I've kind of gone through an evolution of 
once you open my eyes to certain things in class, plus these podcasts and people I've been following who've been ostracized by the universities they worked at and stuff. Right. That there was a guest guy you had in class and we were talking about reality TV and I slammed right. the heck out of reality TV and Bachelor. Right. A few months later, maybe the early the next year, my wife is watching The Bachelor and now I'm hooked. <laughs> I was watching <laughs> The Bachelor, Woman Tell All episode today. So oh, the season's almost over. My land. Yeah, I know. This is so fabulous. So I've changed. But right. um, so then, like, what is media ethics? If you were to give, like, a simple definition. Oh, okay. What's media ethics? So it's interesting because I feel like in order to define media ethics, we need to define media. Let's do and that first, lots then. of times we yeah, yeah. think of media in terms of news media, which mm-hmm. is not the case. Media is really anything that someone produces that a lot of other people can watch. Yeah. So media ethics is is what that person's producing. Is that appropriate for other people to access? Yeah. Like in the most basic terms, that's what it is. Yeah. And I remember when our first few class periods with you was we all we talked about was ethics yes, first. Right. Like so it almost just, felt like a philosophy class for a bit. Oh, very much. And then you switch yes. over to like, how does that work with media? Right. Very much. And yeah. people, like you said, producing their own content, like that's what social media is nowadays. Like YouTube. Right. Video games is a huge thing with Twitch. People being able to stream themselves and they have a fan base. Like it's right. pretty crazy. And then looking at all these social media websites, the rules and regulations that they have. Yes. So like, um, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, was on Joe Rogan yesterday. Oh, ooh, that would have been a fun one. I'm gonna have to go find that. Yeah, one. yeah. Well, he was on a couple months, a couple weeks ago, and people were pissed that Joe didn't grill him enough because oh. a lot of people have been banned, but like for not really like any right. explicit reasons. So they felt like that was the one way he was going to be held accountable. Yeah. So then what they did was they brought back this other guy who's been on Rogan's podcast. His name is Tim Tim Pool. He's like a journalist guy, mm-hmm. and he had tons of examples. And it seems like. The narrative is that like most of the people have been banned. These big controversial things have been more conservative. Who so, have been banned from Twitter? Twitter. Okay. So his point is like, why is this only going one way? It sounds like you guys have an ideological bend to the left. Yeah. So then Jack Dorsey came back on and he was on one side of the table with his like someone in his company. She's like a lawyer slash she's over the people who okay. like, get rid of content. Okay. So like it was an interesting conversation. It's like three and a half hours long, but wow. every time he had examples of like people have been banned, all of her responses sounded very, unfortunately, PR yeah, and very lawyer talk and not really like yeah. an honest conversation. So anyway, yeah. it's just an interesting conversation about how like these companies have taken over like, like how dialogue is right. online and they have such a huge influence, but technically they are a... Uh, a massive company like whoever they did probably never when they made this company they never thought that they were going to be such a huge influence and have such a huge responsibility when it came to free speech and all this other crazy stuff right so. twitter and facebook yes like we oh my land i could go on for days and days about that like because where is the accountability right and that's a part yeah. of media ethics as well like yeah. is the is it really that twitter's bottom line actually they're going to make more money if people if they're retweeting left-leaning information Mm -hmm. it might be therefore great they're making more money who cares Mm -hmm. and yet and yet there is this kind of ethical responsibility so here we get we get into it right yeah is it is it actually their responsibility to say you know what we're in a democratic society and for that to work that means that we need to have both left right middle everyone in the spectrum whatever we can expose ourselves to 
but the reality is, is that the algorithm themselves is uh-huh. designed to create an echo chamber for whatever it is you want to hear. Yeah, you literally follow who you want to follow. That's right. And so who really has the power? It's the probably the developers who are creating the algorithms. Yeah. That and that's what that Tim Pool guy was saying, right. was that like, I have like, is it he, because if you don't know... You think it is just this small team oh, of yeah. developers who are like, eh, don't like that, don't like that. So then it does seem very biased. Right. And so, I mean, some of the answers they gave were okay, but like he had clear examples of people who are on the more conservative side getting shut down. Right. But the people on the left who are like literally calling for violence, like they didn't get banned. Wow. It was, it's weird. You'll have to listen to it in more yeah, detail. But... Yeah, definitely. So overall, like from teaching media ethics, like what's... Like that one, if you remember, if you can remember the semester that we did, like what was the biggest takeaway you had from just talking about media ethics, especially after the election? Yeah. One of, oh man, so many. So from just an educator perspective, the media ethics piece that I took away is just how uninformed we are generally as a public Yeah. um, about one, how media works and two, how easily influenced we are. All of us are. Yep. And kind of like The Bachelor. Like, yeah, I love yeah, how you're yeah. like, I'm totally going to, okay, actually, I love this. You know, yeah. I'm not going to watch it. Actually, this has been kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we're, we are all super influenced by it. And, and just to, that's one of the, one of the major things that I took away. The other thing is that just how divisive things have become. Like, yep. I cannot watch news anymore because nope. it makes me want to vomit. Yeah. Because people are, it's just become so sensational that it's it's kind of back where we were back in the day when the nation was just barely starting. Uh-huh. We have these journalists who are just doing sensational news because it sells to the elite. And the clicks. Yeah. Because that's another thing. is That's how people make money nowadays is it has to right. have traffic. Right. Exactly. And so that's what it is now. Right. Clickbaity article titles that right. have nothing to do with. Oh, like even yes. in Utah, there was a there was this they've. My uh, oh man, this is why I should not drink soda on the podcast. <laughs> um, but my wife at the hotel she works at, they had she knew of cops who were doing sting operations for mm. pedophiles and and uh, human trafficking and all this stuff. Right. They caught two people in the article. One guy got caught for human trafficking. The other guy got caught for like child pornography and okay. trying to do stuff with minors. Right. But the way they put their picture right next to each other, right. The headline made look like they were both in cahoots. They weren't. They it was two totally separate cases. Right. And it wasn't until you now this wasn't like them trying to deceive you, which that definitely happens with right. politics. But that was just one example of we have a crazy two hot stories, let's just put them together, right. save words, and then it made it sound like the article was very misleading until you read it. Right. And again, right. that was very like innocent example, but it could get way worse than that. Right, right. And I think that, you know, you think of it in terms of like the editor who's like, okay, we have this, they're thematically similar. So what are we going to do? How can we, but that's where it's becoming ridiculous because those constraints that were once part of newspaper Uh and actually having a newspaper. Like one page was this category. Yeah. It doesn't exist anymore. Like create two web pages that have the different stories and you can link them to each other. So some of those things aren't really a great excuse anymore. Yeah. But that I think is the mentality, particularly when you have older journalists, older editors who mm-hmm. very much, they've been living through this like major news transition yeah. and it, some of those things are hard to break. It's yeah. hard to really think about 
okay, actually, it doesn't really matter if they're together or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, oh, people will read it and they'll be able to find out from themselves. Yeah. But when you see the headline, it's like, oh, well, what's this happening? Is a big story. Yeah. But they were two really big stories that got smushed into bigger, make it look like a bigger situation than it really was. Right, right. Um, speaking of journalists, we were talking about that. Do yeah. you? So you said you don't watch the news. I don't watch the news. Okay. Not in the, yeah, yeah. Did you, did you, were you watching the news a couple years ago? Yeah. So if I watch the news, it's usually outside of the U.S. Oh yeah. So I remember you did bring that that's up. That's right. Yeah. The, so I, if I'm going to, yep. If I want to access news, I look for uh, news sources that where they, there's not an economic vested interest in their success in the United States. Okay. So MSNBC, Fox News, they have a vested financial interest in people who watch them. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not interested in that. I want to uh. look for news that doesn't have that because they're going to give a more bland, which means a more accurate for me assessment uh. of what's going on. So, so you say for people from like BBC or outside of the US, yeah, they're just going to give you pretty much the hard facts, like you said, bland. Yeah. So it's more so actual news than entertainment, right? which I feel like a lot of the news things have... Because I remember bringing that up in class yes. that I get sick of... I rarely watch the news anyways, but it was annoying anytime you flipped on the TV that if it's Fox News or CNN, let's get two or three people from the left and two or three people from the right and let's uh, argue something right. for five, ten minutes and then we have a commercial break. Right. That's why I feel like podcasts have blown up because people – I think the media started underestimating people thinking that we needed to have small – like our attention spans were smaller. Right. But you have people like – uh, Rogan's podcast, he gets like millions and billions of downloads a year. Right. And his, on average, his episodes are about two and a half hours long. So people want to eat this stuff up. And I feel right. like this is the only way to have these, these conversations is through long form discussions like we did in class. That's right. Even sometimes in class, we were like, oh crap, I wish we had more time to discuss this. Yeah. And so the news is just, who was it? I think Larry King had an interview within the last few months. I think he was on Dave Rubin's show, and he's like, one news is slamming Trump, one news <laughs> is standing up for Trump, right. and one's like in the middle. And I think he was basically pointing out CNN, Fox News. Right. And he's like, people aren't covering news anymore. They're just covering Trump. So yeah, yeah. it's an interesting time we live in as far as... I, I think that's interesting because I think President Trump is so... He's such a wild card. Mm -hmm. He is definitely not the traditional politician. And some would say, well, that's what the voters, his voters wanted. Yeah. Um, at the same time, it is a machine. And so yeah. when you have a machine, like you just take a car, for example, and you put a rock in the machine, it's going to totally mess with the machine, how yeah. the machine works. That's great to an extent. Mm -hmm. But to another extent, it's like, ineffective mm -hmm. because the machine stops working. Yeah. Which is some of what we've got going on now. Yep. And so when we have like what's newsworthy, everything he does is newsworthy because it's so like out of the box. Good in some situations, maybe not effective when you have individuals who aren't being paid. Yeah. So I... And he's on Twitter, which is insane. Right. Yeah. And I think that's why some people voted for him because they were sick of the politically correct environment right. that was taking over universities especially in other places right they kind of wanted just to throw a wrench in yeah. the machine to kind of like right. let's see how this works out <laughs> we're right. throwing in some crap right so and, and i can't believe it's already been almost three years 
Right. It's flown by. It's kind of blowing my mind too. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about what you're saying about the politically correct universities is that, and yet you still have this like the dark net intellectuals or whatever. Yeah, the intellectual dark web. Yeah. The, the, yeah. So you still have these people who are like, it actually doesn't matter who's in office. Yeah. Whatever is going on here is actually so divisive culturally that we can't even have open conversations yeah. or whatever. And that's what these guys, the, the it's a, some men and women in this group who've all been ostracized from their university jobs. Right. They're like, why can't we talk about these difficult conversations? Like, it's like you you get, and then I think I pointed out one time in a different class, like you can't even talk about certain subjects without being called racist, bigot, right, Nazi, which is a dumb one. Like a lot of those, I think I saw a tweet last year. It says, Things that have lost their meaning in 2018. It had like a Ooh. list of 10 words. No way. Because they've just, find it. yeah, they've just been list, they've just been used, overused, like Nazi, uh, bigot, racist. Like they've been so overused when it trying to shut down the other person in a debate right. that they have lost almost all meaning. Like it just blows my mind with the whole Nazi thing. That's like, uh. you're telling me that someone who might be slightly racist or not racist at all, that they want to have opposing views that they're all of a sudden a Nazi. Like, do you realize the Nazis killed millions of people and you're comparing someone who's never killed anybody? It's just, right. it's crazy. And then you probably had a lot more of these discussions since it, I've been in your class with all the stuff that's been going on. Well, it is, I just wish, um, I just wish we understood what that meant and how damaging yeah. it really is. Cause you think about the, those words are really important and really powerful. Yeah. And when they start losing their, when they become desensitized, yep. what does that mean for the rest of us? Uh-huh. And I, I had a situation in class just this week where I called myself, I'm probably that old white lady. Oh. And they, it was so funny cause I was trying to get like, I need you guys to open up. And talk about what is going on culturally. And their eyes were so big and no one would comment. Really? Yeah. Man, That's why I'm saying I wish I was in that class <laughs> was like the class that you were in was like definitely one of my favorite because everyone was willing to say, you know what, this is this is what I think. This is the perception that I have. And yeah. yet they were so concerned about being offensive and so concerned about being politically incorrect as students that they were not that I had to like start saying like I'm calling myself an old white lady come yeah, yeah, on yeah. like have a conversation with me about this and it instead of it inviting them it just like it seemed to shut them down further that's weird because we live in that outrage culture or I've heard lately is called the cancel culture yeah where if someone makes a mistake oh we'll just make you lose your job or we'll just right. make sure you can never come here again right and it's like I think social media I've talked about this before do you go to Disneyland often on occasion. Do you like Disneyland? It's okay. Okay, I love Disneyland. So okay. <laughs> my, my wife's got me into the last couple of years. So have you ever been on the ride Pirates of the Caribbean? Yes. So for many years, there was this scene where the pirates were auctioning off these women. Okay. Obviously, it's bad. Yeah. But like... Historically accurate. For, yes. So they just recently changed the ride to backlash that the women are no longer being auctioned, that all the women are also pirates as well which I don't know if that's historically accurate, but it was to appease a few people who were complaining about how misogynistic that is. Okay. Like we all know that prostitution and selling people for sex is bad. Right. Yeah. So, but I, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, if you were to complain about something like that, who would you go tell? 
your immediate friends and family and you right. have your own little echo chamber of like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I wish they would change that. Right. And they would end there. Right. But with the internet and social media, you can find 20,000 other people who have the same idea as you and then get instant change. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean, because the, the other perspective I shared on the podcast before is that we knew someone uh, grew up in our hometown. She's redhead. And the main woman who looked the most beautiful on the ride who was being auctioned off was a redhead. Okay. And she was pissed that they okay. changed it because from her perspective, she's like, she was the one who was the most sought out woman. Right. And me growing up as a redhead with all the jokes about being a ginger. Right. I looked up to that animatronic because in the ride and the context, she was the one who was right. most sought after. So it actually made me more like, I want to be like that, you know, that kind of a uh, image if you want to call it. So it's just interesting, like, they don't take that perspective in consideration, but it's no. that small minority. And I'm like, first off, you shouldn't be complaining about that to begin with because you've already romanticized pirate life. <laughs> On our, like, you're stealing, you're pillaging villages. Yes. Like, that's already bad. But, yes. like, we can, we but can have okay that. But it's okay now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, anyway, that's just one example how, like, social media has changed to where before you just talked to five or ten people and complained and that was it. And now you can get a whole... Right. A bunch of people on your side. Right. And I, I often wonder, like, this is one of my fantasies, I guess, is to have these kind of really divisive conversations that we see mm-hmm. online face to face. They yes. wouldn't happen. Nope. Because people, will, you have eye contact to worry about. You have That's body right. language. You have emotion. So That's right. And a lot of people wouldn't say half the stuff they say online. No, no. And so I think there's something, I don't know what it is about that screen. I'm sure there's some super experts out there who like know like the disconnection that yeah. happens. But something about that disconnection all of a sudden gives us some kind of empowerment uh-huh. to go places that we shouldn't go. And I've even so, seen it with texting. Just oh, yeah. your friends and family, like certain arguments that you would never get in in person, oh, you yeah. got in through text because you didn't understand like what they meant by it or the tone or whatever it is. Right, right. So that goes back to the whole what, like 67% of communications nonverbal. Yeah. So when we strip that away, what's happening, right? Which is why I think emojis are so popular. Yep. GIFs are so popular. Mm-hmm. GIFs are whatever you want, you know, however you pronounce it. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, this is one way I can compensate for that, even though I don't realize that's what I'm actually doing. Yeah. It just, it never ceases to amaze me. So then are you on Twitter? I am. For research purposes or is this No, for fun? I'm on Twitter. Like I'll tweet stuff once every two months. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. It's my birthday. So you, you, know? more, you more so follow people then I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I got rid of the app. Okay. Twitter and Facebook. Okay. I was wasting too much time. I still have right. the profiles, but I yeah. found that because the desktop versions are not well developed, Compared to They're the phone. They're terribly designed. So I actually go on less because when I go on to Facebook, I'm literally on there for two minutes and I'm done. Yeah. Because scrolling isn't as, uh, I guess, satisfying, no. air quotes, to the brain. No, no, no. Like, I think that's like literal. like you're right. Yeah. I think it's like literally not as satisfying. So I still waste time, but only on Instagram and Reddit, <laughs> which Reddit is a huge, <laughs> so Reddit is a huge uh, time sucker. But I figured if I only have two out of the four apps, right. then I'm good. Yeah. So then, like, one of the things I had that I sent you some of the questions is, like, journalists on Twitter. Right. Like, from your perspective and media ethics and the way things have gone the last two years, of you saying being very, what's the word? No, decisive? Is that the word? Divisive. Divisive. Okay, there you go. I can't talk right now. It's okay. Um, 
All right, would you consider them, would you follow the narrative that there are still some journalists or would you say that a lot of the journalists nowadays have turned into activists? I think this is a really interesting question and I spent a lot of time thinking, I mean, as much time as I had yeah, the yeah, questions, yeah, yeah. thinking about this. And I, I do feel like some of these individuals have very much been cornered. Uh-huh. Often they're tweeting from accounts that represent them. Yep. And so they do want to express some personal opinions. And yet if they express the wrong opinion, they're totally disassociated from their organization. Yeah. So we have this, like they have a really fine line balance that they're walking. Um, do I think that there, there is this thing called media advocacy. And, I remember hearing that term right, in class. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I think is, is it possible? Yeah. It's very possible that they could be leaning one direction or another Yeah. just because of that kind of tradition of media advocacy. And it Could might you clarify what media advocacy so is. So media advocacy is essentially saying we see that there is a problem culturally or socially. And what we're going to do as journalists is we're going to bring as much attention to this as possible to change the perspective, to change the way people are seeing this. Uh, okay. So it's something that we might think of in terms of PR. Yeah. But um, we see it as well with, um, with journalists so that they – their one of their roles is to bring voice to the voiceless. Yeah. And how can you do that if you're trying to be super neutral? Mm. And so I don't know if they're advocate. I mean, I think it probably depends on whether or not they're being activists or not. It probably depends on who the journalist is. Yeah. What organization they're working with. And then maybe we could kind of file them into these different categories. Yeah. And I, I don't follow too many journalists at all. I've kind of started following a lot of people who are part of that intellectual dark web, as I said, where oh, like yeah. they're from both sides and they just bring up stories that if it's bad that's going on the right, we'll call that out. If it's bad on the left, we'll call that out. Right. But I just see crazy stories of like these journalists, like these crazy articles that they have that are just so like biased, like clearly biased. And it's just like almost like eye rolling. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like yeah. someone wrote this article <laughs> and oh. it's getting tons of hits on on uh, right. online it's just ridiculous right. and then no one verifies the information of yes course. that's the other wild card in this is and that you have these really biased stories that nobody's verifying which only maybe 35 45 percent of it like r- is really yeah. hitting you know the because real hardcore facts they almost have to be quick acting now so it's almost right. like right the culture has created where they can't do crazy crazy journalism like it should be right and, like, they're not even checking their primary sources a lot of times. Yeah. Like, did you see the story with those Catholic kids with the MAGA hats? Okay, so he, <laughs> this is an interesting... Did you cover it in class? Okay, we... Briefly. Yeah. So we had a situation... We I, I saw the beginning of that when it was first breaking news. Yeah. And then I was like, I don't... This seems super... Like, it's going to get super out of hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had students telling me, oh, wait, actually, once they kind of zoomed out and got more information, there was a lot of really questionable dynamics going on yeah. from every perspective. Uh-huh. And this is kind of the down. I think this is the sad part of this 24-7 news cycle yes. that's constant, uh-huh. is that it doesn't give us time to pull back and say, okay, we know what happened here. Now we need to do more research and find out what was happening with everybody else. We don't have time for that. We're... Yeah. Back in the day when they were doing newspapers, there when you say back in the day, you're talking like the 19. 19- I mean, I'm talking like the 1970s. Okay. Like when we start in the late 80s and the 90s, we start having cable news television. 
that's when things started shifting. Okay. And so what we see in social media right now with news, the the kind of polarize the polarization yeah. is becoming more extreme. But that kind of weird stuff where people weren't checking their sources. And they were just making assumptions. They were making assumptions. And then they had to make, they had to walk back their words because yes. they were like, oh yes. yeah. With further information, we found out that those kids weren't really in the wrong. Right. And there's a bunch of other crap going yeah. on. And it was like, we only got one clip. Right. And it was a couple seconds long, but that whole thing had been going on for about an hour. Right. I think what I remember, remember reading. Yeah. So like, we only get these small blips and people make that's right. these judgments of like, oh, this is exactly what happened and I'm not going to see any other way. Right. And that's kind of the beautiful part or I, I think of media ethics is who's making those decisions. Yeah. Who's making the decision to show that clip. Uh, and if they have that clip, how come they don't have other clips? And if they do, why did they choose to show yes. that clip? Cause you could easily see that switching between CNN and Fox news that the way that they lean, they're going to spin it the other way. Absolutely. So they're going to leave out the clips that don't necessarily fit their narrative. Don't fit their narrative. Don't fit their, what their audience would want. Yeah. Therefore don't fit their bottom line. Yeah. And it's crazy. It is, right? Oh, I love it. But um, what was it? Oh, so do you think uh, we've kind of touched on this a bit, but Twitter has blown up in the last year or two, especially since the election of Donald Trump. Right. To where a lot of people go there for their news. Right. So do you think, do you still feel like journalists and news organizations go to the traditional ways to find news? Or do you think a lot of them are strictly just what's on Twitter? Like, what are we finding on Twitter? I think that the only way to do good journalism is to do it as it's traditionally been done. But do you think the and organizations so, are changing to where they're so, not going traditional? I Well, I think because of that, like, they've got to get it out. They want to break it. Yeah. So they're they're not going to they're not they're going to do whatever they need to do to get it done as quickly as possible. And that's why Twitter is so quick. Right. And that's why they run into not getting all their sources right before they shoot out the article. Right. Right. Exactly. It's and crazy. it's just amazing. I wish I knew the statistics on this, but the number of retractions or corrections, those never go viral. Those are things that people don't share. They're yeah. things people don't retweet. When they have to walk back their words. Right. Exactly. So when they're trying to correct mistakes that they've made, they don't get shared. And so this misinformation cloud just gets bigger and bigger, stays in place. And again, just we just act like people should give that information to us instead of taking responsibility and saying, I need to actually find this out for myself. Yeah. Okay, they have that information. That's great. What other sources can I look out to find out whether or not what they have is correct or not? Uh-huh. Oh, I don't want to do that work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right? that goes within like I wrote down like fact checking primary source like that stuff yeah takes time and if it you does. don't do your due diligence to get it right then that's when you have to make you have to walk back but like you said sometimes that the walking back doesn't even get covered or if they do they right. just mention it briefly and then they go on to the next big thing right right so then do you believe in like fake news do i believe fake news like, exists or what yeah 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 because i obviously like Donald Trump made it a huge meme almost basically like it's fake news. Anything coming from one organization's fake news. So basically anyone who does not like Donald Trump thinks that there's such a thing as fake news. Right. I personally believe that with the crap that's going on now, I wouldn't necessarily call everything that comes from one organization fake news, but I could definitely say it's misinformed. Like yes. the example we just brought up. Right. It was fake until – we found out the details. <laughs> right. So, I mean, like, I don't know what your feelings are on that right. one. Right. So, 
I this okay. A couple pieces to this. So in public relations, we have what's called a pseudo event. Okay. So we intentionally stage something to get news coverage for it, what? and usually, yeah, surprise, like cop stings. Yeah. Do you know that I did that when I was sixteen? No. There's a girl I liked. Her dad was undercover cop, and for a, a St. Patrick's Day, they had a standout gas stations asking for beer, and this one kid <laughs> bought us beer, and then he got no. in trouble. Oh I, be, I, I, I thought I was, I was just trying to hang out with the girl all night, but right. I, I realized afterwards, I was like, man. Oh, that maybe wasn't that guy. <laughs> that guy wouldn't have not bought the alcohol, but he did because he was offered the situation. But if I was never there, who would have known right. that he would have done that? But so then basically my, uh, my brothers called me, uh, Lucifer, Satan for tempting somebody. So like, I guess you're right. Like if I wasn't there, he wouldn't have been tempted to do right, that. So, right. And anyway. I, I love, actually love that story because that's really what's happening with pseudo events. We okay. have people staging these situations and that's been in the news recently too. So we have people staging situations. We have news people who are unaware that it's been staged. Uh-huh. They come in, sometimes they're aware and they get the information and they share it like yeah. it's news because PRs produced it that way. Another media ethics issue. And so then it then it's a surprise, right? Then it's like, what how much of is that? How much of that is real? How mm-hmm. much of it is not real? President Trump is amazing at using media. Amazing. He gets pseudo events. Yeah. He gets that if you demonize someone in public, that there's going to be backlash from that. So Fake news is an attempt to making someone a villain. Yeah. And if you have a villain, then you have to have a hero. And who's the hero? He is. Oh, right? That's his narrative in his That's head, huh? right. Yeah. He could come in and save all these poor people who can't think for themselves yeah. from that evil organization, uh-huh. which is not true. Yeah. Right? And I do, I do believe that as like journalists are trying to do the best they can no matter where they work, mm-hmm. I do believe that they slant. I do believe that they're biased. Yeah. I don't know if fake news really exists. Yeah. I do believe that there's misinformation. We found out, I'm not sure how, if you're aware of the frontline piece where they did some investigative journalism around Facebook and what was happening to get people to vote for Donald Trump and the Russian Oh, I have heard a little bit of that. Oh, my land. Just shocking. Like, uh-huh. absolutely shocking. My husband's not used Facebook since. So, like, that was, like, fake accounts from, like, Russians and stuff That's like that? That's right. Like Twitter and Facebook and That's trying to right. manipulate? But what they were doing is they were intentionally finding groups that were um, – on all sides of the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to, to get involved in these echo chambers that already existed. So like little groups on Facebook? That's right. So they would create these fake groups and then they would feed the people who would naturally be attracted to those fake groups false information. Mm-hmm. And then it would continue to support them in their own belief systems. And then eventually we would see that kind of result in voting behavior. Oh. And very alarming, right? Yeah. As a As a... As a republic democracy, that's not how things should work. Yeah. And yet for Facebook to say, ah, I don't know if really actually we have any responsibility around that. That's interesting. The Kay. responsibility thing. Yeah, that's right. Because and the, uh, sorry to cut you off, but the, um, on the Joe Rogan podcast yesterday with the CEO of Twitter, right? the Tim Pool journalist guy, I think he's more left leaning or center, but he doesn't care. He, he's like, some of these conservative people have been banned from your from your uh, platform. Right. And his argument is that it is now today, and he says so more in the future, that because Twitter is taken so seriously in politics right. and the, 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 the discourse of politics and the, uh, the dialogue, he's like, if you're banning people 
citizens of you know because your your free speech rules at, on right. Twitter are different than the U.S. laws of free speech. Right, right. So he's like, if you are banning people forever from Twitter, right, and Twitter is the biggest, most popular place to have discussions on politics and news, you're literally ostracizing U.S. citizens from the public discourse that's the biggest on right. thing. So that was just like, and then they, they have to figure out like what's the responsibility they have and right. if people are banned or not. It's a very interesting discussion as far as these private companies who, again, I guess they're public now, right? Because they traded. Yeah, yeah. Like they didn't think they were going to have this giant of an influence on no. the, the the government Oh, sorry, the uh, the public discourse in politics and in the world. Right. And so they're having to walk the line of like personal responsibility and like, oh, we're not responsible for that. But yet you are because right. you control the media like a ton. Right. Wh- whether you're influenced- Whether you intend to or not. Exactly. And that's, I think that's where it gets unnerving, right? Yeah. So we have, we have a full on deceit happening in Facebook and then we have banning happening on Twitter. Yep. And it, and so then again, it becomes like people have to be discerning. It becomes instead of us relying on big corporation, we have to rely on ourselves, our intuition and our own research abilities Yeah, to really be informed. Yeah. So like, I mean, you guys probably discuss this a lot in um, class. Do you guys discuss echo chamber stuff a lot? I do. Yeah. Because it is, it is a problem. Yeah. I mean, because I think even, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, like people for the most part would, I mean, would you think that people would watch all all news channels? I mean, because it wasn't know. that polarizing back like 20, 30 years ago, was I can't, it? I can't, like 30 years ago, probably not, but I'm thinking like 20 years ago when I was in high school. Yeah, Fox News or started becoming very- I was in very... college. It was, Fox News was still very, yeah. very that. And then CNN was the other way. Yeah. So, I mean, there is a- you literally on your own social media outlets and your news channel, you can literally create your own echo chamber by yeah. choosing to follow only the people that think like you. Right. And I think what's interesting about this is I think the shift is that during 20 years ago, you would have to go find that media. Yeah. Now you don't have to. It nope. comes to you. Yep. Recommended to you. Uh-huh. And so I think that's where it's different. And that's where it en- enables the echo chamber on a level that we haven't ever seen before. Yeah. Is because initially you're choosing things that you like, mm-hmm. but then the algorithm itself is built to give you more of what you like oh, because it will this. keep your attention there, which means you'll see more ads, which means the company will make more money. And yeah. really, that that for me becomes one of the core issues, the core media ethics issues, is that media economy. It's really about attention mm-hmm. and that bottom line. And so when we start, when we have new situations or situations like, let's say PBS is super boring, like their news hour, yeah, yeah, yeah. very uneventful, mm-hmm. probably some of the best journalism that's out there. Uh, so it's not right? as flashy. No, it's not as flashy, and so, but you're not. No, people aren't going to watch it because there's not a much entertainment in it. Yeah. Um, the last time I watched it a few weeks ago, they tried to cover all sides, let everybody have their um, perspective shared, but it wasn't a situation where it was like a knockdown, dragout fight. Yeah. You know, they're just interviewing and splicing video together instead of it being like you're the best, you're the worst, whatever. Yeah. So you say you watch more news outside of the U.S. Yeah. Do you feel like when you watch those news outlets that it's as contentious and polarizing as it is when you watch U.S. news? No. 
No. So I got that vibe. So I don't know if you know who Jordan Peterson is. Okay. He's a I professor. Really... He's like freaking famous now, but he, okay. just up until like two years ago, he was just a professor at University of Toronto. He got famous because Canada recently, at the time he was fighting it, but he is a clinical psychologist and they put into this bill called Beast, the Bill C-16 where the government can force you or fine you if you misgender somebody with all those new pronouns that are coming out with. What? So they also did it in Okay, Cali- I didn't know it's this. All, they also did it in California as well. Okay. Anyway, there's viral videos of him, how he got popular. Was he was just on campus, like, talking to the students, and there's people shutting him down. Right. And now he's has two books, but, like, he's, like, he's going on tons of tours, selling out in Australia, selling out in England, like, everywhere. Wow. And his book, all it is, is 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos, but it's it's basically just a self-help book, but it's more than that. But these people have gravitated towards him because he will not give in to these people who are forcing him. He's like, I don't care if you're transgender. I will call you. What you but like, yeah. I will not have the government forcing me or right. finding me to tell me like what I should say, like compelled right. speech. So he was recently on a Q&A in Australia, like a, a TV show or a, on YouTube. Yeah. And they like debated certain things. But right. it was like so civil. Like right, way more civil right. than even like their snarky comments were like polite almost. Right, but I bring that up because I'm a huge fan of his, and he's been on Rogan like five times each yeah. time, like three hour long conversations. So like eighteen hours of content right there. But it's just the Australian. It just seems so much more civil and less polarizing than U.S. And I don't know yeah. why that is. I'm, I think it's just the tradition and yeah. expectation around a lot at least my experience living in New Zealand was that their channels the primary cable channels are government supported oh okay and so which that could be dangerous but the yeah. base the bottom line is that media economy piece right uh-huh. they're not vying for dollars so much yeah because they know that they have a stable income mm. and so they're gonna say okay we can have this conversation and it can be civil we're not trying to really grab anyone's attention we don't have to it's yeah. things are gonna be okay yeah and we're here it's like man I gotta make more money there's like this weird greed piece to it yeah where you see interviews there it's kind of like okay yeah that's funny sometimes it gets really heated yeah yeah, yeah. but nothing like we see nothing like we see if we just turn on yeah one of the cable television new or what it would have been cable television news um do you think uh i brought this up in, in our questions i sent you do you think because i believe it does in a lot of ways especially twitter facebook hollywood like do you feel like the left right now owns media as far as ideology goes i think so yeah i mean and i think it's kind of always been that way like i remember sitting in that political communication class you know it was like a 20 something being like oh this is the best and that was one of the primary issues 20 years ago so it was like oh all the media leans so left yeah yeah why is that well i don't know maybe it goes back to that gatekeeper thing you know like whoever's doing the edits whoever is doing yeah you know, whoever's saying this is the kind of content we run on this channel. Um, I think there's also this piece to it, too. Like, oh, we're trying to push the artistic bounds. Yeah, because I think they do say, I think Jordan Peterson said with his estimations that m- creative people are more left-leaning Yeah. than people who are into... I can't remember. I have to send you a link. But he basically sure. says that people who are who lean more left are t- 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 typically more creative people. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think it really is a result of that. Like I was just watching CNN has a decade series. Uh Have you seen it on Netflix? Yeah. Yeah. I watched the 90s one. Right. I watched the one about music. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So they, they start at the 60s, and then they've gone to the 2000s now. And so I've been watching the television and music history as well, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we get, t- like, cable television and how it's unregulated and, like, goes to trash. Uh, like, from a co- from someone who's, like, a Christian conservative, yeah. I, like, had to turn it off. Uh-huh. I was like, this is shocking. Yeah. And... At the university that I work at, I had given it as extra credit, and I was like, "No one should be watching this." And <laughs> well, I, what years were they covering that? You said so that was the '90s. The one that I was yeah, watching yeah, yeah. was like television in the '90s, yeah. and I was like, "Oh my land!" Yeah. But I, but as I was listening to some of the interviews, they were like, "This is creative stuff we'd never been able to do before." Yeah. We were feeling more like liberated. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I get that to an extent, but then there's that ethics piece, like just because you can, should you? Yeah, that's right? a question we always ask in class. Yeah. So with the meat, yeah, because like the the podcast yesterday, um, the Tim Pool guy brings up to the Twitter execs, he's like, you guys say you're not biased, but in your rules yeah. for hate speech, it is totally on one side ideolog- ideologically because he's pointed out that there's uh, protected rights and protected um, speech around transgender people. If you misgender somebody, yeah. you can get banned. Right. And he's like, conservatives do not believe or like really yeah. care for transgender like issues. They believe there's male and female. If you want to transition, that's fine. Right. So he's like, clearly he points out to the freaking CEO, like your yes. rules are in a certain ideological bend. They tried putting like a PR spin on it and like right. things like that. And, but it's, I mean, I I love talking to people from all types of backgrounds. Like, right. I don't care if you're left or right. Like, I just want to have a good conversation with you, not be right. called a racist or a bigot or a right. any of this other crazy stuff. It's right. just nuts. Well, it's like I was mentioning to um, some students, like, isn't it interesting? And we, I actually mentioned this in our, the class that you were in, and I don't know if you remember this, but isn't it interesting that if if as a Christian, I can't pray at a state campus, but if I were Hindu, I could pray? In class. Oh. And why is that? Yeah. Like, why is it that there's certain things that are okay and certain things that are not okay? Yeah. And that's really, you know, this, uh, thank heaven we have journalists like Tim, Tim Pool yeah, who yeah, yeah. is willing to do the deep research and say, look, this is really what's happening. And that's why I feel scared to lose journalists. Like, we need people who are still willing to like truth to power, yeah. you know, like are willing to make that sacrifice of being seen, looked down on uh-huh. maybe by the powerful or the elite for the sake of truth being understood by the public, by the masses. Yeah. Whether it's on one political spectrum or the, or the one other. side or the other, it's like right. it's seeking truth. Oh, which reminds me, I, I was going to share this a minute ago. And this is, this is some other, another piece of this puzzle that's so challenging so recently, the Pure, uh, the Pew Research Center. I know about the Pew Research Center. Right, I about it a lot. right. They just released some information that said that the people on the left think that they have the facts. The people on the right think that they have the facts, and what they're finding out is that they're actually using completely different sets of facts. He's like, how can you even uh. create middle ground? If you're talking about two separate things, and yeah. now we have the data to reflect that, uh-huh. and so it only 
create like it only continues to enable these echo chambers. Yeah. So it takes someone like Tim Pool to say, you know what? You're talking about these facts. They are talking about these facts. We've got to find a middle ground and yeah. share the same facts. So and then, yeah. yeah, we can share our opinion or our approach or whatever it is that we want to do to be able to resolve whatever the social problem might be or comment on it or whatever the case is. Yeah. That's Interesting. Insane. It like yeah. blew my mind. So you gotta get going soon. I do. Cool. Yeah. So then, uh, last question uh, I have for this whole crazy stuff mess we're in. Right. Is there any journalists? So first off, your advice would be that at least it works for you to follow a news organization yeah. that's not in the U.S. Right. Right. And then, do you follow any journalists that you still feel like are honest, or are you kind of just I, not even involved I in that? Don't. Um. I really, I really love. Frontline, okay. Like I really. What's Frontline? Frontline is um, an the investigative journalist journalist team of PBS. Oh, okay. Yeah, Frontline. Okay, I know the the, the news. Okay, I hear the commercials sometimes. Right. Yeah. So they will go out and they will spend years, if needed, to really uncover the information in a story. Kind of like Spotlight. Yes. That kind of situation where it yes. took them years to uncover it. Exactly. Did I watch that in your class? Yes, okay. you did. Okay, yes, cool, cool. exactly. And so that's those are the types of situations where I really, really pay attention. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like, okay, I'll look at the feed, what's going on. Okay. Or I'll listen to the, the caption news on NPR mm-hmm. um, if I'm trying to get something quick. And th- for me in the U.S., that's kind of what I look at. Okay. So yeah. frontline is what you like as far as traditional classic. Right. Because those are all are actual real stories, not just like some journalists that hate Trump and some journalists that love Trump right. or whatever the political thing is going on right, right. now. Right. And it's so interesting because they are funded by the U.S. Yeah. They're funded by the government. But they definitely take seriously that it's their responsibility to be the fourth estate, which yeah. means that they hold those individuals who are in government accountable. Okay. So cool. good, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll wrap this up, but we could go on for another hour. I or so. easily. So we'll have easily. to do a part two, right? But um, <laughs> is there any last two cents you want to throw in, or no? I think really, like, I want to make a T-shirt or something that says, yeah, yeah. "Like, just because you can doesn't mean you should." Should, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I love that. I think that's really the core, the core for issue. media ethics. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me on episode sixty-three of the John yeah. Lyon podcast, and. uh Anyone who's listening, enjoy it. And uh, we'll catch you later. You can say bye if you want. Bye. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yep.